Welcome to Bite Size Dental Marketing. Today, I have the pleasure of being here with Liz Navarro. Liz, I cannot thank you enough. You've helped us. We've worked together, and uh, you may not know it, but you are the matriarch of the podcast idea the, from when Andre and I talked. And, you know, before I get into and I know you've taught at SMU, you've worked on a TED Talk around millennial women dominating the, the side hustle today. And from websites to podcasts, strategic communication is your your jam. For us, it's so interesting when I think of strategic communication, you taught us and our company that the value of consistency and having a plan and and how to implement that. And you helped take us from the infancy of we know we need to produce content to actually doing it. And I can't thank you enough for the impact you've had on our company as well as the impact on me personally. Uh, you know, I have a podcast in large part because of you. So I know I'm dominating the early parts of the conversation. I'm really excited, but I would love to hear how you got your origin story of how you got started to today and, you know, start off by thanking you for what you've meant to us personally. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed all of the work that I've done with you guys. And it's so much fun to see this podcast take off because I think it's something that you gave me too much credit for, you know, I don't tell everybody that they should have a podcast, but when there are people who have something to say and they have the connections to say it to and they have a platform, then I think, you know, you already had all of that put together. So I am Thank glad you. to be talking to you again. Yeah. So I guess I'll just start at the beginning. So my background is I originally studied marketing and communications, and I always wanted to get into this field. And I worked in it for a couple of years after college, but I am one of those people who I can't just decide on one career path. There are a lot of very attractive career paths for me. And so it was always really hard for me to just stake my flag in the ground and say, I'm in marketing or I'm in entertainment. And so after the first couple of years of working in marketing, I worked in at Condé Nast in publication right out of college, which was an absolute dream job. Uh, but I left it regardless. And I went back to school to pursue education, to be a teacher. And because that was just another career that I thought would be really interesting and that I had always kind of had in the back of my mind that I wanted to spend some time in. So I actually taught high school English for a couple of years. And then I had the opportunity to take my communications marketing background and my education background. And I started teaching college courses at my alma mater, Pepperdine. And that was the first time that I had a job where I walked into work and I really thought like, oh, this is the one, you mm -hmm. know, I just, I had felt like at some of my previous jobs that I was really striving or there were parts of it that I liked and other parts that I couldn't stand. And when I got that job, I was just a visiting professor. I was teaching public speaking, which ironically was something I was never very comfortable doing. <laughs> uh, but for some reason in the classroom at that university, I just felt like I really enjoyed what I was doing and also that I was good at it. And I loved going every day. I took what I learned as a high school teacher, which is very hard to be a high school teacher. You really have to be so prepared and so on the ball or else the students just kind of see right through you. Mm -hmm. um, it's just extremely hard work. It takes a lot of preparation. There's a lot of questions that you have to anticipate. There's so many things that are going on at the same time in your classroom. When I moved into a college classroom, 
there was a lot more ease about it. There's less structure and you kind of get to walk in and teach your course in the way that you want to. And I got to teach public speaking in a way that the students really started to open up and tell their stories. And I realized there was no way I could teach that class with much authority as a public speaker. I was young. I hadn't had a lot of speaking opportunities. I was a teacher, but I found that I was pretty good at helping students identify what they were good at as speakers, you know, just sitting in the audience as more of a coach and a mentor than an actual, you know, professional speaker. I was able to look at what they were good at and say, wow, you really have a knack for storytelling or this was a really creative way to approach this speech. I never would have thought of doing it that way. Tell me more about that. And I could really help them be confident in telling that story. And so, you know, as my career went on, I kept teaching that particular college class. I moved from Los Angeles to Dallas. So I started teaching at SMU. And while I was teaching there, it gave me enough credibility to start to take on more marketing projects on the side of being a professor. And that was a way for me to start taking on my own clients and taking what I did in the classroom where I could help people tell their stories and tap into their strengths and also show up to these speeches in a way that was really unique and authentic because that tended to be what resonated with people Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, emulating what somebody else would say or how somebody else would say it. And I started doing that more in writing as a copywriter or a marketing strategist. And I started helping these brands refine their messages in really similar ways. And so that's kind of where I am now. I have a number of clients. Pain-free dental marketing has was one for a while. And they're in a lot of different industries. And I primarily write their content, help them with messaging. I help them with big content ideas like podcasts. Um, I help them write presentations and coach them. And I still teach college classes. So that's where it all comes together. I've heard that the most wished for skill is one of public speaking. Do you find that to be true? That's the thing that everyone wishes they were better at. What is it about it that, that we want so bad? I think people just want to feel comfortable. I think people don't most of the time feel very comfortable. And you and I were talking before we started recording about how hard it is to watch ourselves. Uh, This year, I helped SMU formally launch their online class of public speaking. And I had to go into their studio and pre-record all of my lectures. And then they sent them to me, you know, to post on the on the class website. And it was it was awful watching my own lectures in public speaking and just thinking like, I can't believe these are just going to live here for any student to click on for semester after semester after semester. It's just, we just view ourselves. I don't know if it's like our, the reality of watching ourselves is not the same as what we think we're supposed to look like or sound like in our heads. And that's just very jarring for a lot of us. But I think most people just want to feel comfortable they know how they feel when a really great speaker presents and they want to be that, you know, it's really meaningful. I tell people all the time, especially students, like we're not just, this is not just a class where you get to come in here and I give you a couple of tips for public speaking. And then someday you're invited to speak and you use them. This is a class where you learn how to take and seize opportunities within your career and say, you know what, somebody asked me to present 
and I am the assistant and I'm going to go into that presentation and blow everyone away because that's the first way that I make a strong impression at this company or for my boss. It's really a way to like take those opportunities and activate new ones in your life. I think that's really well said. For me, it's the ability to influence. And when you mm -hmm. hear, like you said, great speakers, it moves you and it inspires you. And I'll even go so far as to say, I think anytime there are salary negotiations or you start talking money with a client or you're selling treatment to a patient, I think the skills you learn in public speaking apply. And it's so funny. I just said the word, I think, before I made a, a sentence. I, that is my Achilles heel. And, and I, I watch myself do it and I'm cognizant of it. And I try to do it less, but it, there's something incredibly humbling about watching and listening to yourself. But I, I can attest, I wish I was a better public speaker. And I see these people do it great. I aspire to do that better. And, and I think it has to do with the the influence and the the command of the room and the the, the the powerful presence that that they have and it's a skill I think everyone wishes they had more of. I think that's true. You know, it's like a lot of times people really do just think of it in presentation terms rather than like at an interview or just mm -hmm. in a regular conversation. I would take it so far, especially for young adults or in a business setting. I guess for any level. Even just being able to send a good email, you know, like to advocate for something or to, you know, it's that kind of strategic communication, I think is really important. And I think that what it does is, you know, for the most part, as long as you can, you know, get information across 90% of your day is going to be fine. But every once in a while, you need to advocate for something or ask for something or, present or sell something that's really important to you. And I think that if you're able to put that information in a way that is packaged that, you know, shows how passionate you are about it, but also is very clear in telling whatever story that you want to tell, that skill does not have to just be, you know, relegated to public speaking moments. Mm -hmm. I think it can be across whatever platform. I think it can be on social media. And I think that's why you know, I have a job. I think that's probably why you have a job too. Certainly. In a lot of ways is it's just showing people how to package that information. And I think, you know, you mentioned before wanting to talk about what's happening right now in the industry and what I'm seeing out there. And I think that it's more important than ever to be able to come across for brands and businesses in a way that is authentic and clear and tells a story that feels original. And I think that because obviously we have a lot of like chat GPT articles that come out and they don't really sound like the business itself, but they have good, simple information that's clear. But we also have a lot of marketers, I think that know what sells and we've kind of come up with enough formulas that we can write for businesses and say like, all right, here's, here's your article. I'm going to write five headings and I'm going to optimize them for SEO and I'm going to make it really effective. But I think that what, you know, the next step is and what a lot of consumers want and a lot of businesses, businesses want as well is to be able to actually show those other, like, Show the charisma of the business, show the personality, like see the face and make it seem a little bit more personal again. Yeah. Now, 
I, I have a question for you. And this is, this is my theory. You know, years ago, if I look at my first Facebook post, they were wildly simplistic. I, I'm on hole 13 of a golf course or something. Yeah. And then it became, you know, the pictures of food and then it became the Kim Kardashian selfies and then it became the humble brag. And then, you know, it, and we seem to be in this age of awareness and this age of, of, you know, being genuine and true to yourself. Do you feel that the, we're being led to there or is the, just the, this is a natural evolution you're seeing of social media and are brands driving it or are brands following it or both? Hmm. I don't know. I think that's really interesting because I think that probably most of the most exciting emergent trends on social media, I used to think that I was a part of, and now I'm just an old lady who is watching <laughs> them from afar, you know? So honestly, I think, I think that it's, a little bit of both. I think that if you take something like like TikTok, you know, people were really excited to just see less curated content mm -hmm. for a long mm -hmm. time. It was like, oh, this seems more raw, more funny. But now people can take the raw appearance and curate it and imitate it. And then they just imitate a trend that somebody else created. And I think that the part of content that people for the most part respond to now is like, being original or being different, you know, than what they're already seeing. The challenge with that is like, let's say you take some sort of trend on social media, it, it evolves so quickly, you know, people can adopt what's trending so fast that we can all kind of just take whatever was popular last week and we can all replicate it and we can all put it out. And then by next week that is over and we have to adopt something new you know, I think that whether you're on social media or you're public speaking or you're writing blog articles or emails, I think that if you just kind of consistently put out something that feels like you rather than chasing after whatever is popular, it's a strategy that probably has more longevity for you and won't drive you as insane. It's funny you say that. We have a dentist out of New York City and he is, I don't know, Instagram famous. Mm -hmm. Good looking guy, posts regularly, posts the trendiest content. And he did it for years. And, and his production budget is fairly large. I, I want to say it was around, you know, 8000 a month, uh, some meaningful. And he came to us and said, this is great. I get a ton of Instagram views. I, you know, lots of followers, lots, lots of likes. I get almost no patience. And it was because when you watch it and then you meet him, it's such a shocking disparity between the content he was producing and the man he is. And then you take a guy like Brent Cornelius out of, you know, Sky Creek Dental. He just, he just gets on and talks about Invisalign and he's yeah. not, there's no cute, you know, point, you know, the, and he kills it. And yeah. it, it, it's such a, I think it speaks to the power of if you're publishing trendy content to get likes, that is not business success. I think business success comes, like you said, from the, from the the natural genuineness that you are and we've said for years that i can't sell teeth i can sell a connection with a dentist and mm -hmm. you know that that was always been our sort of the core of our strategy and it, it, we're seeing more and more of that as social media sort of ebbs and flows and it's you know hype and overproduction but yeah i I'm definitely not chasing trends in the world <laughs> that's that's wild what else are you seeing out there in you know, we'll call it the realm of strategic communication, if you will, uh, 
that companies are doing? That's a great question. I think, you know, for me, I, I have been a person who's changed what I do in my career a lot of times. And right now I'm in this space where I really like to stay in my lane and do what has been working. And so I think that a lot of companies are looking at really some of the big trends in strategic uh, communication like AI, and it's really shaking everything up, right? With, with how they're putting themselves out there and how can they still be unique or offer what they're offering without being replaced by a robot in some way. And honestly, I actually, I actually feel like right now is a really good time for me to just keep doing what I've been doing for companies, which is to come in and write in a way that sounds like them and sounds like a person and sounds original. And I think when you were just talking about Frank Cornelius, he talked about how he has a connection with patients. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think the biggest thing for me that, you know, regardless of how they're doing it is that kind of relationship focus right now. I think, you know, when it comes to writing something, it's about building an actual relationship with the person that you're writing to. If you're having them build a relationship with some different persona that you're presenting online and then they meet you, then there's a huge disconnect there. But if you're able to, you know, whether you're a dentist or whatever you are, kind of boil everything down to like, who am I and what do I offer? And now how do I present that? I think it doesn't really matter which marketing avenues you take that are working for you. It's just about making sure that whatever you are putting out there does feel true to you. And it is something that you would say in person, you know, to that person and that you are kind of working on just more ways to reach them, more ways to build up that relationship, follow up with them and really kind of offer that excellent experience to them throughout. Because I do feel a lot of times that what people don't want is that, you know, marketing that feels really impersonal or formulaic. And so, yeah, I, I think we are coming back to trying to build that relationship. I know that authenticity is such a buzzword though. So it almost feels like something beyond that. It's so funny how quickly we turn uh, words into buzzwords and then they, yeah. <laughs> they, they lose me. When you look out at your dream engagements, how do you come in as a partner and work with the client you're working with to capture their vision of their brand? And then how do you begin to lay out that story, right? Like walk me through your ideal client and ideal client journey from we meet, shake hands and, and you know, start a partnership. How do you make sure it's my voice you're capturing? Mm. Most of my clients are professional services or business to business based um, companies. And so I am typically working with somebody whose message is just is offering their service, um, whether it's a legal service, a financial service, a marketing service. People generally have an idea of what that engagement could look like, but it feels very abstract. I think sometimes it feels a little bit cold when you land on a website and you're just reading off, you know, financial services or graphic design services or whatever that looks like. I think companies know what they need and trust is typically a really big factor in who they're going to choose to carry out that basic need. And so for me, I do spend a lot of time just speaking one-on-one -on -one to whoever my client is. 
I think that's the best way that I can write content for them. So typically in my engagements, what I am doing is writing a lot of content. So I write blog articles, sometimes website content, sometimes presentations, but it's going to need to feel like the company is actually saying it. And so I, a lot of that kind of thought leadership content for me comes from just speaking directly to people. I have a lot of Zoom calls where I say, I have a question, talk me through this. And I record them and basically just try to get the words as close or as loyal to how a person would say it as possible, while of course, kind of being strategic and building in whatever we need for that content to be you know, SEO optimized and really reflective of the brand and giving across like that, the credibility that the company is looking to build. And so, you know, to do that, I think it takes some time and it takes a lot of collaboration. And so when you ask me for my dream client, it is usually someone who is collaborative and willing to participate in that creation. I learned really early on that I can't, I can't go in and write content about financial services just Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. You know, I worked one time, I had a client who was selling, I mean, I still can't articulate this. So you can see how good their website probably turned out, but they were selling some sort of large equipment, oil and gas services. And then there was a lot of chemistry behind it. And they sent me a couple of brochures and they wanted the website. And it was just really hard for me to feel like I could deliver on that without asking them a lot of questions and speaking to them and figuring out like, well, what do your clients ask you about this? What do they want from you? Um, When they sit down and they're about to hire you, what are their concerns? What are the things that they're most attracted to? What are the things that they're most frustrated with that, that are happening in their company? So it takes a lot of collaboration in those ways to, for me to feel like I can write content that is really reflective of a company And I don't really want to write something that doesn't feel reflective of the company either. So the best clients for me are the ones that can be really collaborative in that process. I spoke earlier about the podcast. In my memory, the podcast was born of you asked for some content from us and I just started recording myself talking to you Mm -hmm. and, and sending you the video. Mm-hmm. And then that became a, a little more and a little more and a little more. And, and, and suddenly, you know, here we are. But no, I I always felt that you articulated our vision really well and that, that you know, we're not trying to be the biggest agency. We, we, we want our tribe. We like our people. And, you know, I, I always feel like that was really well articulated. And uh, like I said, I love the approach. And I'm glad that you're working with uh, Justin. He's such a good guy. Yeah. And yeah. He's a, he's a wonderful guy. He's but... really good. I, if he watches this, I already told him in an email, but he has, he has written so much content himself and I wrote him back recently. And I was like, I have never had a, a client who wrote so much content that I just left entirely intact. I didn't mm. even want to change it. I just wanted to like take it and use it again. So, I mean, that makes, that makes my job very easy but it doesn't give me a lot of job security. So I'm going to have to take what he <laughs> what he does and elevate it somehow because he's actually very good at writing already. Yeah, I can send you the raw footage of the interview I did with him and you can uh, you can use that. That was okay. job security. No, that's, yeah. well, what's next for you? 
where we were talking on the pre-show, we talked a little bit about our company financials. You know, we're a smaller company this year than we were last year. And I I can't say I'm not more happy. I'm definitely, no, is that right? Yeah. I'm definitely more happy for it. And what's next for you? What Three kids, married, life is going well for you. Good clients. Sounds like you got rid of those pain-free guys. Oh, I know. Um, Such a right? pain. Not pain-free. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's next for you? Uh, you know, as we were talking earlier, I think more of the same actually sounds really good right now. Um, yeah, I do have three kids. They're seven, four and one. And so that's a lot of fun. And I also have really, I've really liked, you know, this job was born out of a lot of things, including, you know, my background in education and working as an adjunct professor. But Meanwhile, through all of that, I also was having these kids. And so I started taking on freelance jobs in addition to adjuncting and kind of cobbling together a career that I could do in tandem with just having a lot of flexibility with my kids. And somehow that whole experiment has just worked out really well for me. And I like the amount of work that I have right now. I work with really good clients and I've been so lucky over the past few years to just be able to rely on my clients and connections to keep referring me and uh, kind of carrying on what I'm doing. So it's been really fun. And I also have a couple of writers who work with me that have been really fun to collaborate with as well, which I found, I don't think I wanna have an agency or the responsibility of employing a lot of people right now mm -hmm. i think I, I envy you for that yeah it it sounds it sounds overwhelming and i know how much responsibility is there but i do really enjoy collaborating with other writers who also take on freelance projects doing other things because we're able to really you know have such diverse experiences with all of these different clients that i think it keeps our ideas moving forward rather than getting stuck in a rut doing the same thing over and mm -hmm. over again so i think that's been a lot of fun and I mean, between you and me and everybody that this is <laughs> broadcast to, I think my third career that I've always wanted to have that I need to pursue next, I just have to figure out how to get time and energy to do it without, without stopping this one. This one moves forward as well. But I've always wanted to do more creative writing. And so I hope that's, I know that's kind of a left field uh, dream, but I want to make more time to do that as well. So you can have me back on after my novel gets published. I want to, I'm excited. I'm excited. <laughs> it's so interesting. I have, we have our version of what's next for us. Yeah. I want a front desk school. Mm -hmm. I want a school that trains the front desk. I love that. The dentist goes to school for a long time. The hygienists go to school, chair sides need training and schooling, and they take the youngest, juniorest, newest person on the team, slam them on the phones and say, God help you. Good luck. And it's such a underrated, that's the voice of the practice for most people who call. There are good ones. I don't, I don't want to speak poorly of everyone, but when you listen to most phone calls, they are woefully lacking in getting behind a good question. Yeah. You take my insurance or something. Do you see kids there? You know, no. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and no, and uh, yeah, ours is a front desk school. 
I think that's a really interesting concept. I think that you're right. Um, and I know this because we talked about it together a lot, but mm -hmm. that that person plays such a crucial role in the business development and the sales and the retention of patients and that when they do get training and attention paid to them, then it's obviously beneficial to the entire practice. But a lot of times they just don't. And I think a lot of people don't even know necessarily that that's mm. problematic or or that the potential that they're not reaching for that reason. Yeah. And for us, it's the challenge is if, if you accept all insurances under the sun, it's an easy position. I, I, I want to be fair. It is a fairly easy position. Do you take my insurance? Yes. And there, there you go. The challenge is as dentists start to drop insurance plans, that becomes a more of a sales role, a value proposition, differentiator. And, and that's, you know, specifically where it becomes problematic. But, well, gosh, I, thank you so much for your time. I, I, I think the world of you and I give you so much credit for the consistency and, you know, the strategy you brought us and where we are today and, you know, ho hope to work with you again soon. And I'm just so proud of what you've accomplished and getting to know you and, and good luck on your novel. Thank you. And likewise, it was really fun. I have so much pride in seeing you guys do what you're doing that you're giving me way too much credit for. You're the ones that are carrying it out. So it's been really fun to talk to you and reconnect. Well, thank you.